The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. All right, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. We've been in a series uh, called Move 2021. And our text that we've been kind of, we started with was John 20, 21. And it says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And that first week we talked about our purpose individually and corporately is to seek and save the lost, right? Christ says, as he was sent, we've also been sent to go and seek and save the lost. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. And because of our encounter with the resurrected Christ, we have the boldness and a and the power to accomplish that purpose. Because of what Christ has done inside of us, he enables us to be bold. He enables us to have the power to go out and proclaim the gospel and to see people actually come to know Christ. We've been sent not to run in place. Remember, we talked about that the first week, but through the power of the Holy Spirit to effectively seek and save the lost. We're not called to be a people who just come to church and do church. We're called to be a people who go out of these walls and seek and save the lost. That is our purpose. That's the mission that we've been given. And that's where we get our purpose statement as a church, to love God, love others, and make disciples, right? And we've talked about the fact that we accomplish that purpose by doing four things, gathering, growing, giving, and going. And then in week two, we started looking at each of those words. We talked about gathering and what that really means when we say fellowship gathers. We said that gather means we focus on the spiritual well-being of one another, right? That we're not just focused on ourselves, we're not just focused on our own growth, but we're focused on one another, that we're working together towards a common purpose, right? We said that gather means we provoke one another towards love and good works. It means that we live in such a relationship where we can poke and prod one another towards love and good works. It means that we commune with one another, that we actually do life with together, that we, uh, that we also, you know, more than just coming together and worshiping, we spend life together outside of these, fall, four, these four walls. Uh, gather means we bestow courage to one another because we're working together to seek and save the lost, that we do life together, we work towards a mission together, and that encourages us to go out and do what we've been called to do. Then we said that we gather so that we can go. The whole purpose of all of what we do is so that we can go. And then last week, we talked about growing. We defined what it means when we say fellowship grows. We talked about the Holy Spirit gives us everything that we need for growth, right? At the point of your conversion, the Holy Spirit came in and dwelled within you and empowers you to grow. But we also said we must make every effort towards growth, that there's this element of responsibility on us to use the power that is within us to grow, to mature in Christ. And we talked about the milestones of spiritual growth that we should be aiming towards. We went down the list that uh, Peter gave us. We talked about moral goodness. We talked about knowledge. We talked about self-control. We talked about constancy and devotion to God. We talked about Christian love and love in general. And we also said that we grow to go. Right? We grow so that we can be fruitful, so that we can go out and seek and save the lost. And so this week, we're going to be talking about we give to go. And immediately some of you are like, blech, this dude's going to talk about money. And I am going to talk about money because it's in the book. And that's what we're called to do, right, is preach the book. So this week, we're talking about give. So what does it mean when we say fellowship gives? Right? We say we gather, we grow. What does it mean when we say fellowship 
gives. Well, first let's talk about what we don't mean. When we say fellowship gives, we're not talking about tithing. Although tithing is an important part of our devotion to Christ. It's an important part of our devotion to Christ. Tithing isn't giving. Tithing is agreeing. And some of you are like, wait, what? Give me a second, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Um, A couple years ago, the kids wanted to buy me something for my birthday. They wanted to buy me a present. But they have zero money. They don't have any any money to go buy me a present. So what do they do? They come to me to ask me for money to give me a present, right? How illogical is that? It's very sweet. Their heart's in the right place. But in reality, they weren't giving me anything. It was mine to begin with, right? They're asking me for money to give me something. Your tithe is God's to begin with. He's laid claim to a tenth of our income. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says this, every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. You catch that? It belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So a tenth of our income, the word tithe literally means tenth. So when we tithe, we're not giving whatever we feel like we give. A tenth is literally the the word tithe. That's what it means. And so God has already laid claim to a tenth of our, of our income, all right? And not only has God laid claim to a tenth of our income, but he claims the first tenth. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Now, it can be confusing because we're talking a lot about like plants and grains and stuff here, right? But this is culturally money for these life. This is what their income is. This is how they would trade and and do life. And so what God is saying is I'm laying claim to 10% of your income. 10% of your harvest is mine. I'm I'm saying that is mine, right? That's what God is saying. So what does that mean? It means that God gets his 10th before anyone else. That's what first fruits mean. It means that he gets it first. So before you pay that energy bill, before you pay that house note, God says that 10th is mine first. He laid claim to a tenth of your income, and he wants it first. Now, this is all about perspective. This is all about perspective. If you view your money as something that you have earned in your own efforts, then, of course, it feels really weird and uncomfortable when God claims a tenth of it. Right? If you view your money as like, man, I earn that, I work for that, I do all of my stuff to make sure that I take care of my family, and so how could God come in and say a tenth is his? If we view it that way, then of course that makes sense. It feels weird and uncomfortable that God would lay claim to a tenth of our income, but if you realize that you have nothing apart from Jesus, that the air that you breathe, the knowledge that you possess, your talents and your abilities are all a gift from God, then returning a tenth back to him in obedience is no problem for you. It's all about perspective. If you recognize that that Christ has given you everything, that you have nothing apart from him, then when he lays claim to a tenth, it's like, well, yeah, it's yours anyway. It makes sense. Job 41.11, God says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God says, look, in, in reality, it's all mine but I'm only laying claim to 
right? So when we understand that God has given us everything that we have, we will naturally obey him with the money he has entrusted us with. Tithing is an act of obedience born from a heart of genuine faith. For many, 10% may be a real struggle, but God is looking for us to trust in him to provide. He literally tells us to test him in this. In Malachi 3 verse 10, he says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. So when we say fellowship gives, we're not talking about tithing because tithing is not giving. It's agreeing with God that 10% is already his. It's obedience. It's obedience. And so for us to say fellowship gives, what we're talking about is not that 10%. We're talking about above and beyond that, right? So what do we mean? We mean two things. One, we mean living generously with our financial resources. Acts 2, verse 44. We, last year, we looked at the early church and, and who they were. And, and we studied this passage. Verse 44 says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now that is unbelievably generous, right? That's unbelievably generous that, that these people were so generous in their hearts. They were so focused on what really mattered that they were willing to sell their land. They were willing to sell their possessions so that they could meet physical financial needs. They were incredibly generous people. And that is what we mean when we say fellowship gives. We're not talking about paying your tithe because that is something we should all be doing. If we truly are, are Christians and we're truly saved, tithing is just a natural outflow of obedience, what we're talking about is above and beyond that. We're talking about a spirit inside of us of generosity. That we're willing to go the extra mile to meet needs when people have them. We also mean live generously with our time and abilities. Now, the truth is we're only going to have time, time to talk about one of these this morning. So we're going to talk about the other one next week. So let's take a look at our text this morning. 2 Corinthians verse eight. I mean, chapter 8 verse 3. Here's what it says, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So let me give you a little context of what's going on here. Paul has been taking, along in his missionary journeys, he's been taking a special offering for the church in Jerusalem. There is some financial needs for the church there in Jerusalem. And as he goes, he's taking money. Uh, he's talking about here the Macedonians. That's who he's talking about. You can go back and read and see uh, where he mentions that. He's talking about the Macedonians. They're from northern Greece. So this is like the Philippians. This is the Thessalonians. This is the Bereans. This is who he's talking about. All right. Macedonians were not wealthy. They were not wealthy. In fact, most of their financial resources were devastated when Rome came and took over the area. So they're not wealthy. Uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians who are in southern Greece, and he is using the Macedonians as an example of how we should all be. How Christians should be, he uses Macedonians as, um, as the example. So knowing the context of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, let's take a closer look. First of all, he talks about the substance of giving. 
He says this, he says, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability. Uh, Carter, several years ago when he was little, he, uh, he came into a little bit of money, like $5 probably. And, uh, and, and for a kid, he was rich, right? When you're like three years old and you get a $5 bill, you think that you are the king of the world, right? And in his mind, he had, he, he had all these plans. He was going to uh, go buy this candy and, and all this stuff that he had planned that he was going to spend that money on. He was super excited about it. Well, the plan was after church, we would go spend his money. Well, that morning at church, he gave his entire $5 to the offering. He felt compelled to give his $5 to the offering, so he gets out of church and he has no more money anymore. He gave it all. And in his little mind, like that's you know, super sweet, but he gave everything. He didn't have anything else. What he did was he sacrificed his own plans and his own ambitions with that money because he felt compelled to give it. Right? He had plans. He had ambitions to use that money. And it was all he had, but he gave it because he felt compelled to give it. Right? And so he gave according to his ability and even beyond his ability. Uh, Paul is commending the Macedonians for their giving. These people, again, they're not rich, so giving anything would have been a sacrifice. And so that's why Paul says that they gave beyond their ability. The substance of their giving was sacrificial. You get that? That's the point of this, that the substance of their giving was sacrificial. It cost them something. This was not a financially prudent decision. Right? If you go have a conversation with some money guy, he's not going to say, hey, this is smart for you. Right? That's not what they were doing. They were sacrificing something. They gave according to what they have and even beyond what they had. They made a decision to sacrifice everything that they had. And this, this is a lot like the widow that Jesus talks about in Luke 21. In verse 1, he says, he looked up and he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And so what would happen is there would be a box and, and, and all these Jewish guys and, and, and would come in and they'd drop their money in the box and be, everybody would be like, oh, man, look how much money he just put in there. And, and you, know, you can imagine they got these gold coins in this box that makes noise. And so it's like pop, 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 pop. every time the coins would go in and people would be like, dang, look how rich that dude is. How much money he's given. That dude's a baller, right? And they're just amazed at, at, at all the money that's given in. And then it says, he also saw a poor widow drop in, dropping in two tiny coins. This little widow comes in and drops in a couple of little mites. He says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. And you just imagine the disciples are like, well, hold on. I just saw that dude drop in a, a, a big old bag of, of, of gold, and you're saying that little old lady that just put in two coins gave more than that? And Jesus explains, he says, for all these people putting gifts out of their surplus, right? so they gave what was easy to give. They had a surplus, they gave out of that, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Out of her poverty, she gave it all because she recognized the importance of laying it all before God, right? She trusted that God would provide for her. So the Macedonians, like this widow, gave sacrificially. It cost them something. Truth be told, a lot of people are willing to give some. A lot of people are willing to give some, but very few really get this. 
Very few really get sacrifice. We've become so driven to our own comfort that the idea of real, genuine sacrifice is foreign. It's foreign. This isn't about how much money you give. This is about sacrifice. This is about trusting in God. This is about laying it all on the line and allowing it to cost you something. The substance of our giving should be such that it hurts. It should cost us something. Next, Paul goes on and he talks about the motive for giving. He says, of their own accord. Of their own accord. Um, Maybe you can relate to this. You ever been in the checkout line and you just want to buy some groceries, get out of there and get home, and the checkout lady's like, would you like to donate a dollar to such and such charity? Have you ever, you ever done that? And you have no idea who the charity is or if they're legit or anything, but in the moment, you feel like people are going to think that you hate kids if you don't give that dollar, right? You feel like that lady's judging me if I don't give this one dollar because a dollar is really not that much money, but how do I even know that this is a legit organization? But you give it because you don't want the lady to think that you're a jerk, right? When we give, motive matters. When we give, motive matters. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. We shouldn't want to give because we feel guilty. Right? We, we, we shouldn't give because we feel guilty. There's no point in me trying to guilt you into giving money. There's no reward in that. We give cheerfully because we want to glorify God with our finances. We want... To, we give cheerfully because we love God and we love others, right? We give out of a heart of generosity. God has always been concerned with our hearts. Look at Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others, the Pharisees were meticulous about their tithing, right? They were going down to these little herbs and pulling off a tenth, like a little leaf, like I better get my tenth of this, right? They were, they were being so hardcore and so legalistic about it. And Jesus is saying, look, you give and that's great, but you don't care about people. So who cares? You're, you're following the law to a T, but if you don't care about people, it doesn't matter. If we give out of a sense of guilt or to earn favor with God, we're missing the point. God wants a cheerful giver. He wants us to give out of a genuine heart of generosity. This is something innate in the heart of every true believer, right? If we've come to know Christ and our desires have changed and he's changed who we are, then there's something innate inside of us that wants that leads us towards generosity. 1 John 3, 17, we just studied this uh, several weeks ago. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? What's John saying? He's saying, look, if, the, if you don't have a heart of generosity, then how in the world does God live inside of you? How is it possible that you're a Christian if you're not generous? Because the result, the product of God changing your heart is that you become a generous person. It's that you look out on a hurting world and your heart mourns and it breaks and you want to do something about it. And you're willing to sacrifice for it. Why? Because... Our generosity leads to something, which is the last point here. It's the purpose of giving. It says they begged us earnestly 
for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. I hate doing yard work. And I imagine some of you can relate. I've always hated yard work. Who wants to go outside in the heat of southeast Texas and mow grass? It's no, there's no fun in that. Um, but when I was in high school, I worked at Camp Tukula for two summers on staff and then one summer kind of just helping out. And one of the things that uh, we did was we mowed lots and lots and lots and lots of grass. Every Monday we would wake up like at daylight and go get on this lawnmower that, that you, would, you would ride it and then you would turn it off and it'd be like, pop, 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 boom, like just like backfire. It got to a point to where we would like try to time it and we'd pull up next to campers, like, pop, 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 boom, and like pretend like we shot them. There's not much to do in Chester. Um, but we mowed grass, lots and lots and lots of grass. And as much as I don't like mowing grass, I loved those days. I loved working there. I loved doing the yard work. I loved working with my friends and cleaning out this incinerator where you're just covered in soot when you're done. It's disgusting. I loved doing it. Why? Because mission changes everything. Right? This is a mundane task that nobody wants to do, but when, when in your mind there's a purpose behind it, right? I'm mowing grass because there's people that are coming to this camp who are going to hear about Christ and they're gonna be, their lives are going to be changed. That changes everything. Right? It takes something that I don't enjoy doing and it makes it something I enjoy doing because there's mission involved. Mission changes everything. The Macedonians were cheerful givers. Why? Because they understood the purpose. They understood the purpose. They understood that they weren't giving just to supply financial needs. They were giving so they could seek and save the lost. The Macedonians were cheerful givers. Paul says that they begged them for the privilege. Like, look at that language. What if that was 2021? What if that was a church in 2021 where people were begging to take part in what we were doing? What if people really grasped how important what we do is, how important this mission is of seeking and saving the lost, and they came and they started begging us, please, let me give. Where would we be? What a perspective. They saw it as a privilege to be able to give. They saw it as a privilege to be able to take part in what God was doing. They just wanted to be used by God. They just wanted to be used by God. They didn't even have a surplus to give, but they longed to take part in the mission. They longed to take part in the mission. They wanted so badly to be part of what God was doing in and through people that they were willing to sacrifice their finances. They were willing to make decisions financially that were not prudent because they saw what the mission was. And this is so hard for the American church in 2021 to understand. We've become so accustomed to comfort that we struggle to distinguish from want and need. We long for our mission, which is comfort. And we need to refocus ourselves on the mission of seeking and saving the lost. Because listen to me this morning, church, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, instruct those who are rich. 
That's you, in case you were wondering. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant. Don't be about yourself. Or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Don't stress about your money. But on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. What's Paul saying? He's saying that we need to focus on the mission, focus on being fruitful. Why? Because when we invest our money in the mission, we're investing in eternity. When we invest our money in the mission, we're investing in eternity. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, don't store up yourselves treasures on earth. Don't spend your money on your own comfort in the treasures of this world where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Listen, when you invest in your own comfort, it dies with you one day. It goes away. But when you invest in eternity, it lives forever. That's what he's saying. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is Jesus saying? He's saying don't invest in comfort. It's temporal. It's temporal. Don't use your treasures for self-gratification. Invest your treasure in eternal things. Invest your treasure in kingdom building. He's saying if we're really about the mission, then we'll invest in the mission. If you really believe this is true, and you're really sold out to it, what Jesus is saying is where your heart is, your treasure is there too. If money is a problem for you, then the reality is your heart is not in this. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying. If it's hard for you to let go of your finances, and money has to be about you and your comfort and what you want and the new car and the new house and all that other stuff, then you're not about this. You're about you. Just like we gather to go, and we grow to go, we give to go. Everything, everything that we do is about the mission. Everything. There's nothing that we do that's not about the mission. Everything that we are, everything that we have, every experience that we've experienced, every talent that we have, every second that we have in the day, everything that we are should be about the mission of seeking and saving the lost. Because that's the only mission that we were given. In Matthew 28, before Jesus ascends into heaven, what does he say? He says, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all these things that I've commanded you. Right? That's the only thing he said. He said, go and make disciples. That is the call. That is the commission. That is what we're called to be. And when we get wrapped up in all this other stuff, we're not focused on the mission. We've been given one job. Everything we do 
is about going. And so the question this morning is, are you a giver? Are you a giver? And there might be a temptation to write this sermon off as just another attempt by a pastor to get your money. And if that's you, if that's something that's stirring inside of you, then to be honest, I'd rather you not give. If right now, that's your viewpoint, is this dude just wants my money, I'd rather you not give. And that may sound like an odd thing to say, but it's the truth, because God wants a cheerful giver. God wants a cheerful giver. Motive matters. If you're not given with the right motive, then don't give. We don't say fellowship gives to make budget. That's not what giving is about. I'm not asking you to give so that the church has money. God is faithful to provide for the needs of his church. His mission will continue with or without you. So if your spirit is one that says, I don't like you talking about my money, don't give. Because the truth is, God's will is going to be accomplished with or without you. The question is, will you be a part of it? We say fellowship gives because we all understand that it's a privilege to give to the mission that Christ has given us. It's a privilege that you get to take part and what God is doing. That's a privilege. It's not something that you deserve. It's not something that you have to do. Man, I gotta do this because God says I gotta do it. No, that's not how this works. It's a privilege. And if your heart doesn't view it that way, then you have a misguided understanding of what it means to truly give. I want you to give because you genuinely want to invest in seeking and saving the lost. I want you to give because you genuinely love and trust God. So again, are you a giver? Are you a giver? Some of you need to reprogram your mindset about your finances. You, you view money as yours. Right? You earned it. You did the work. It's your money. And you want it now. Sorry, I, I couldn't help myself. Everybody was thinking it anyway, might as well say it. You view it as yours, you, you, you got this tight grip on it. And when we come to Christ and surrender in faith, that means that we let it all go. Especially money, because that's the thing that we really struggle to let go of. So some of us need to reprogram our mindset. We need to stop thinking of money as a way to make our life more comfortable and rich and start viewing it as a tool to seek and save the lost. A lot of people, their, their mindset of their money is every time they get a raise, they're like, what can I afford now? Right? What new toy can I buy? When in reality, we should be viewing it as, how can I use this to glorify God? God has blessed me with surplus. How can I turn around and give it back to him for his glory? So what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway of this? 
One, if you're not already, start tithing faithfully. If you're not already, start tithing faithfully. It's, it's the first step of obedience in our finances. Right? Once you become a believer, the first step that you should take is to trust God with your finances. Give him that tenth right off the beginning. Before you do anything else, give him what he is owed. Give him what he has uh, you know, taken claim of. He's already said that's mine. Give it to him. And for a lot of you, maybe you're, that's, you're already doing that. The second takeaway would be this. Start looking for ways to get enough margin in your life so that you can start giving sacrificially. We live in a culture that's so riddled, ridden with death. I mean, death, debt. Basically the same thing. We get so focused on wanting the next newest, greatest things that, that, that we're willing to go into debt for it. And that puts us in a position where we can't use our finances for God's glory because we owe somebody. Maybe it's time to put a little margin in your life so that you can use your finances for God's glory. Maybe it's time to find a little contentment in life. Paul said the Macedonians gave more than he had ever hoped, right? Paul was blown away at how much money these people gave. He's like, how do these people, they're, they're broke. How do these people give so much money? This is unbelievable. When we work together, we can accomplish so much, right? When we work together, when we take our surplus together, we combine it together, we can do so much and God can use it for his glory. Just this week, we had a lady in our church who felt compelled to just buy some groceries and bring them up here. Such a simple thing, right? Such a simple thing. And then we find out about this child at one of the schools who was in need, right? They, they had come to the teacher and said, look, we, we, we don't have, I'm, I'm really looking forward to my mom getting paid because we don't even have food at the house right now. And so we were able to take those groceries and bring them to those people. We were able to connect those dots. God moves. Do you believe that? God, God moves. He still works miracles today. Right? He's still orchestrating things. He's still burning people's hearts so that they would give so that someone else can say, here, I know where that needs to go. Here you go. And when we work together in that way, so much can be accomplished. Think about all the things that we were able to accomplish this past summer during the midst of COVID because people were cheerful givers, because they were generous. They brought money. We were able to feed all these kids. I just took the cards down this week. We were able to feed so many kids and do so much stuff because people saw a need and they were willing to fulfill the need because they saw the purpose. They saw the mission. They wanted to seek and save the lost ones. They were willing to invest in that because they saw how important it is. That's not something we can stop doing. It's not a one and done thing. It's a lifestyle. And so when we say fellowship gives, that's what we're talking about. A lifestyle of generosity. A lifestyle of people who see people in need and want to fulfill that need, not just to meet a physical need, but so that we can seek and save the lost. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Again, the question is, are you a giver? Are you 
generous with your finances? Do you want to be part of this mission? Do you really believe in this book? Do you really believe in this gospel? And my challenge to you is to get outside of yourself. Shift your focus from yourself in every arena of life. In your time, in your money, in your abilities. Take, take your focus off yourself. Take your fo- focus off your own comfort in, the, in, in building your own kingdom and focus yourself on building God's kingdom. That's the mission that we've been given, to seek and save the lost. And everything that we have is a tool to use for that purpose. So this morning, if you're not a giver at this point, then my challenge to you would be to either where you're at or at these altars, repent of that. Because the truth is you've been given so much. You've been given everything that you have. And God wants us to in turn, because of what's been given to us, to in turn become a people of generosity. A people who see the hurting around us and have a desire to be part of the mission of seeking and saving the lost to where we use our finances to accomplish that purpose. So this morning, if you're not a giver, I want to challenge you to make that commitment. Again, not so that we can make budget as a church because the truth is, like I said, God's going to provide, but so that you can have a part in it, so that you can be a part of what God is doing. If you're not a tither, I want to challenge you to take that first step. Tithing is a step of obedience. It's something that God tells us to do. He's already laid claim to that 10%. He's looking for you to be obedient in giving it to him. Before you do anything else, before you pay all your bills, before you do all that other stuff, give him what he has already claimed. He says it's his, give it to him. Because the truth is it's all his. He's giving you the other 90%. But he's giving it to you for a purpose so that you can use it for his glory. So if you're not a giver this morning, my prayer is that God would change your heart. That God would lead you towards obedience. That he would lead you towards generosity. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us, God. And I pray that that you would stir something in our hearts. That you would stir something in our hearts that we would be a people focused on the mission that you have given us. That we wouldn't get distracted by the comforts of this world. That we wouldn't be a people of discontentment. Always having to have the latest and greatest but that we would be a people who find joy in knowing you and being used by you. That we would recognize that it's a privilege to take part in this. That you allow us to have life. That you've given us this amazing purpose of building your kingdom. 
So God, I pray that we would be a people that get that. God, use us. We pray that as your people become givers, that you would multiply that. That you would provide all the resources and things necessary to accomplish the purpose that you've given us as a church. And that as you give, we would in turn use that to bring back and, and, and to lead people back to you. That we would use it for your glory. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.